Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to St. Michael's in the Morning, a podcast series encompassing everything from sermons and services to special audio presentations, brought to you by St. Michael's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. For more information or to make a donation to St. Michael's, please visit www.st-michaels.org. Welcome, everyone. Episode 50 of Calm Words for Anxious Hearts. And I just want to pause 50 episodes. When I started this podcast, I literally thought we'd do 10 max and that this pandemic would be over in a manner of weeks. But alas, here we are. And my pledge is to keep this going on a weekly basis for as long as COVID is keeping most of us at home. And then in a post-COVID world, I hope to continue to do this when I can, but episodes will come out less frequently over time as things shift back to normal. Now, we're in a six-week series on the prophets, and today is session three on the prophet Elisha. Last week, we looked at Elijah, and now we look at Elisha. Now, to introduce the prophet Elisha, I want to tell you about a life dream that I have, and that's one day I'd like to participate in the Olympic Games. Not as an athlete, obviously. That ship has sailed, or I suppose perhaps more accurately, that ship was never built. But rather, I want to carry the torch in the Olympic relay. One of my classmates got to carry the torch back in 1992, and I've been jealous of him ever since. And so mark my words, before I die, I will be a torch bearer. For those of you unfamiliar with the ritual, the Olympic torch is ignited several months before the opening celebration and is carried around the world. Thousands of runners, each with a torch, all passing one flame. One runner receives the flame, guards the flame, and then carefully passes the flame to the next runner, who must be very careful to make sure that the flame does not go out. It is considered a great honor to carry the Olympic torch and to pass the Olympic flame. Of course, the roots of the torch relay come from the ancient Greek games, where the flame was passed from runner to runner as a symbol for knowledge and life and wisdom, which the Greeks insisted be passed from one generation to the next. In other words, whenever it came to what was really important to them, the spirit of knowledge and life and wisdom, the Greeks prided themselves on being keepers of the flame and, of course, passers of the flame. The thought of letting the flame go out was scandalous, dropping the torch unheard of, because passing the flame was not just considered an honor. It was a duty. Every single one of us who can identify as Christian do so because someone passed the flame of faith to us. Now, I know that we're all at different places in our faith journey. For some of us, the flame of faith is burning brighter than ever. And maybe for some, keeping the flame from going out, especially after a difficult year, might be a daily struggle. But if we have faith, we have faith because... Someone passed faith onto us. Maybe it was our parents or grandparents, a teacher, a friend, a priest, a pastor, a Bible study leader, a camp counselor, a combination of all of the above. But someone invested, someone prayed, someone loved. Someone's flame burned so brightly 
that they just had to pass that flame on to us. And it's incredibly important that we understand that when it comes to faith, this passing of the flame has been God's design from the beginning. Abraham passed the flame to Isaac, who then passed it on to Jacob, who then passed it on to Joseph. Moses passed the flame to Joshua. Eli passed it to Samuel. Jesus passed it to the apostles from the very beginning. God intended his people to be torchbearers, for them to get the flame, to guard the flame, and finally to pass the flame. And so in every generation, God asks his people, who loves my knowledge and my life and my wisdom so much that they are willing to pass on the flame? You see, God does not give us the flame of faith for our sake alone. That would be like receiving the Olympic torch and then running home to keep the flame burning in our room. That would be inappropriate. No, God gives us the flame of faith so that we might pass it. God wants to make us torch bearers. Now, last week, we heard part of Elijah's story, and I say part of his story because after the showdown at Mount Carmel, Elijah basically, well, he has a nervous breakdown. You know, the stress of being a prophet is just too great, and so Elijah begins to pray. And Elijah's prayer is very specific. He prays that God will kill him. That is his prayer. And God answers Elijah's prayer, thankfully not by giving Elijah what he wants, but by giving Elijah what he needs, someone to share the burden, someone to take his place. In other words, God sees that Elijah is burnt out, and so he tells him that the time has come for him to pass the torch on to someone else, and that someone else is Elisha. A reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, this comes from the message. Elijah found Elisha in a field where there were 12 pairs of yoked oxen at work plowing. Elisha was in charge of the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak over him. Elisha deserted the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I'll follow you. Go ahead, said Elijah, but mind you, don't forget what I've just done to you. So Elisha left. He took his yoke of oxen and butchered them. He made a fire with the plow and tackle and then boiled the meat, a true farewell meal for the family. Then he left and followed Elijah, becoming his right-hand man. Here ends the reading. All right, so Elijah, who's looking for a successor, sees Elisha plowing in the field, walks right up to him, takes off his cloak, and then places it around Elisha's shoulders. And this gesture, which is understandably foreign to us, would have been very clear to Elisha. When Elijah took off his cloak and put it on Elisha, that one symbolic act said more than any combination of words ever could, because in a visible and highly symbolic way, Elijah is telling Elisha, I'm inviting you to follow me and to learn from me. I want to spend time with you and teach you. I want to pass the flame of God onto you. Elisha, I want your flame to burn brighter and brighter so that one day you can lead God's people as their prophet without me at your side. What an amazing invitation. Now, there's something we need to realize because I think it's the main reason we often run away from our duty to be torchbearers. 
Elijah is asking Elisha to make an enormous sacrifice, to invite another person into a relationship with God, to pass on that flame of faith is, in a sense, to ask them to sacrifice something. To quote Jesus, take up your cross and follow me. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. And if you want to lose your life, you're going to end up finding it. And that's what Elijah is asking Elisha to do, to make a sacrifice, to lose the life he previously had in order to experience the new life of being a prophet and doing God's work. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Elijah's background. Maybe he grew up poor and did not have a lot of career options, and so he said to himself, since I can't make a prophet, I'll become one. But not Elisha. Elisha is a rich kid. You see, in Elisha's day, your average family owned a chicken or two. If a family had an ox, they'd be considered wealthy, but to have 12 teams of oxen, This was unheard of. Elisha's family is freaking loaded. And what Elijah is asking Elisha to do is to walk away from his secure and wealthy lifestyle in order to follow a much riskier path of becoming a prophet, which usually meant a life of poverty, hiding, and unpopular truth-telling. And so Elisha has everything from a worldly perspective. And in essence, what Elijah says is, give it up. Let me tell you about what happened on Mount Carmel, about what I saw God do. Following God might be risky, but I promise you it's exciting. And it might mean poverty, but I promise your life will be rich. And it might even mean losing your life, but I promise you by doing this work, you will save it. Now, as a side note, it would have been really easy for Elijah to look at Elisha, who had everything, and to have walked right past him thinking to himself, You know, I doubt he's all that interested in what I have to offer. And I think that's a really powerful lesson for each one of us. A lot of us have friends or family members we assume aren't interested in coming to church or talking about matters of faith. And so we don't even try. We walk right by them. And in the process, we hide a huge piece of who we are because we just figure they are not interested But we should never assume that anyone is so well off that they don't need the flame of faith that is the kingdom of God. Because once we're captured by a vision of living and serving in God's kingdom, in time we come to find it irresistible and the most important thing in our life. And God knows that so many people we interact with on a day-to-day basis are just one conversation away or maybe one invitation away from being a keeper of the flame and a bearer of the torch. You know, God has a very strong track record of choosing unlikely people to be his torch bearers. Okay, so back to our story. Elisha follows Elijah and proves to be a very loyal apprentice. Elijah even gives Elisha a few chances to walk away and back out of his prophetic call, but each time Elisha responds with these words, As surely as the Lord lives, I will not leave you. Their journey reaches its climax when they arrive at the Jordan River because they both know that their time together is short and that Elijah will soon be on his own. And then Elijah does something very significant. He takes off his cloak. Now remember, this is the same cloak that he spread over Elisha when their journey first began together. And with his cloak, Elijah strikes the Jordan River. 
And just as the water separated a long time ago for Moses and Joshua, it now separates for Elijah. And Elijah and Elisha cross the Jordan River on dry ground. And then Elijah does a wonderful thing. Knowing that he is about to leave this world, he turns his full attention to Elisha, his loyal disciple. And what does Elijah do? He doesn't give Elisha any more advice or instructions or commands or secret prophet tricks, but instead he asks Elisha a question. What can I do for you before I am taken away from you? That's it. It's a question. What can I do for you? Now, before we look at Elisha's response, I want you to think of some people in your life that God may be calling you to pass the torch on to, a sibling, a friend, a child. Remember, God doesn't give us the flame of faith for our sake alone. From the very beginning, God's intent has been to make his people torch bearers. And so if we want to take seriously our duty to pass the torch of faith on to the people in our life, I think this is a great question to ask them, and it's so simple and non-threatening. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? What do you need to become the person God's calling you to be? You ask someone that question, and you never know, maybe they'll tell you, I need a prayer. I need you to bring me to church. I need to find a Bible study. I need to do an outreach project, but I'm scared to go alone. Think of the people that God has placed in your life, the people with whom you have some influence or people who trust you. When is the last time you asked them that question? What can I do for you? Well, here's how Elisha answered Elijah's question. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, I have to admit, the first time I read this story, Elisha's request sounded greedy, almost as if he was saying, I want to preach twice as well and work twice the miracles as you. But that's not actually what's going on here at all. You see, Elisha is using what scholars call inheritance language. For example, back in Deuteronomy 21.17, God said that the heir of an Israelite family, the firstborn, is to receive a double portion of the inheritance. And so in Elisha's symbolic world, to ask for a double portion is really the same thing as asking to be someone's heir. That's why he uses the word inherit. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. And so Elisha is not asking for two helpings of the Holy Spirit. All he's really saying is this, Elijah, I've followed you, I've watched you, I've seen your devotion, I've seen the devotion of your life to God and the way your faithfulness has made a difference. Israel is a better place because of you and your ministry, and I want to continue your legacy. I want my life to make a difference even after you are gone, and so let me inherit your work. Well, all of the sudden, a chariot of fire and horses appear, and they take Elijah away into the sky. And as a side note, this only happens twice in the Bible to Elijah and to Enoch. And as a second side note, this is biblical evidence that unicorns do in fact exist. Anyway, Elijah is swept into the arms of God, and Elisha is left behind with a mission. And it is now his turn to carry the torch. And so Elijah is gone, and he leaves only one thing behind. Can anyone guess what Elijah leaves behind? His cloak. 
And Elisha looks down, and he sees his mentor's cloak, which to him is a reminder. It's a reminder of the torch that has now been passed on to him. And so Elijah picks up Elijah's cloak and walks back to the Jordan River. He takes the cloak and rolls it up, just like he had seen Elijah do. He lifts his arm and he says a prayer, just like he had seen Elijah do. And then what I think is the most pivotal moment of Elisha's life, he strikes the water of the Jordan River, the waters part, and Elisha crosses on dry ground. He did it by himself. The torch has been passed. Elijah's spirit is now alive in Elisha, and Elisha is ready for his mission. He is ready to be a torchbearer for God. Elisha goes on to have an extraordinary life. Like Elisha before him, he challenges the most powerful people in society with utter fearlessness. And at the end of his life, we see Elisha passing that torch onto his own servants. Elisha, the rich kid, goes on to live an extraordinary life. But why? Because someone was bold enough to invest in him, to pray for him, to wrap his cloak around him, to pass the torch onto him. You know, I've had countless people tell me very cynically that Christianity is one generation away from being extinct, that a hundred years from now, Following Jesus, putting on Jesus' cloak will be a thing of the past. You know, people have been saying that for 2,000 years, but followers of Jesus, well, they keep on passing the flame. Now, you and I, we've received an enormous invitation. As people who have the flame, God invites us to guard the flame and to run with the flame. But I think God wants us to go deeper because in every generation, God asks the question, Who loves my knowledge and my life and my wisdom so much that they are willing to pass the flame? Because remember, the one we serve is the light of the world, the flame of the world, and he is the one inviting us to run this race we call faith. You see, the church is made up of thousands of runners with thousands of torches, but there is only one flame. And if we catch the right flame and we're seduced by a vision of living and serving in the kingdom of God, we come to see pretty quickly that the only way to keep our own flame burning is to pass it on to someone else.